It's not about being busy. If a prospect, regardless of where they are in the funnel, if they tell you they're too busy or they indicate in some way they're too busy, what they actually mean, but will not tell you because they don't want to hurt your feelings typically, what they actually mean is that what you are giving them is not relevant enough. It's not that they don't have the time, it's that it's not worth their time. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX podcast. We're on episode two of our brand spanking new season, and I've got my lovely new co-host, Kelly, on the line with me today. Kelly, how's it going? Feeling confident for episode two now that we've got that initial episode out of the way? Yes, we are feeling good. We got the butterflies out after that first episode, and I'm just super happy you decided to bring me back. Awesome. I love that for you. And honestly, I cannot raise this baby alone, so here we are. All right, folks, last week's episode gave you a small glimpse into some of the amazing sessions that happened at our B2BMX event in Scottsdale. And today we'll be hooking you up with the full replay of one of our top rated keynotes by the one and only Jay Bear. Jay is no stranger to the B2B marketing space. And in fact, he's probably one of the biggest names in B2B and B2B content specifically. We're so lucky to have him take the stage in Arizona to show our audience how to cross the the moat of B2B buyers' attention. I absolutely loved this keynote from Jay because we all know that the B2B buying journey is constantly changing. And, you know, marketing and sales teams must find a relevant and authentic way to engage with buyers across all stages of the journey. And, you know, like Jay said in the keynote, to win with content in 2022, marketers have to fundamentally realign their strategies in place to break through buyers' wariness. And that's exactly what he dove into during this factual, funny keynote about the three ways you can use content to win attention in a hyper-competitive B2B marketplace. Absolutely. It was definitely one of my favorite sessions from the event, so I know we're all eager to revisit it again. So with that, let's roll the tape. Thanks so much. Let's hear it for Claudia, everybody, and everybody at the team putting this amazing event together. Thanks, Claudia. Man, it's, uh, it's nice to be back on the road, right? Nobody's given me free mashed potatoes in like two years. Or socks, or pens, or tote bags. What's remarkable is that the pandemic has created a lot of winners and a lot of losers. Slipper sales up 70% since the pandemic. Divorce attorneys, 34% increase. Kissing booths used as a fundraiser, 1 million percent decline. In circumstances like these, where lots of businesses have been disrupted in a really fundamental way, we see consumer behavior changing at the same time. Three in four consumers have purchased from a business for the very first time since the pandemic. It's certainly true for me. I have a new dentist now, a new chiropractor, a new guy doing my yard, and on and on and on and on, and, and some of you may have as well. And this is not only about consumers and consumer products. In fact, in business to business, 
this statistic should scare you, and some of you are this statistic, 20% of B2B buyers changed all of their suppliers during the pandemic. Like, you know what? New cast of characters. Let's just go with some different companies because they appreciate their values or they're more responsive or a better CX or whatever the circumstances may be. This state of affairs, however, does not and will not stand the test of time because those who won in the pandemic, say boating and fishing, I did a boating and fishing conference a few months ago, massive increase. Outdoor recreation, COVID safe, you can't buy a boat. I don't care how much money you have, you can't buy a boat. But if you're in the bowling industry, the bowling conference is sitting around saying, you know what, we got to get all of our customers back from the boating and fishing folks. So the winners are fighting very, very hard to preserve those victories that came about because of the pandemic. And those that lost out during the pandemic are fighting back. Some of you are living this right now in your organizations. How this applies to us in an event like this is that nine out of 10 marketers changed their content strategy during or since the pandemic, according to new research from Salesforce. Raise your hand if you made changes to your content strategy. I know I certainly did. Many of us did. For lots of us, this content strategy worked like this. Hmm. Things are pretty tough out there. Perhaps the solution is to just make more marketing. Many of us adopted that strategy. In fact, according to our friends at Forrester, there was a 40% increase in total marketing messages in 2021 alone. 40% increase in one year. So when you are cursing your inbox and you are blocking LinkedIn notifications and you're unsubscribing to everything, this is probably to blame. This idea that more marketing is the right answer is unfortunately the wrong answer. Volume is not a success metric. It never has been and it never will be. Already, right now, two-thirds of B2B buyers already say that marketers like us give them too much material. And I am a huge proponent of account-based experiences and account-based marketing and relevancy, and we'll talk all about that here in a moment. But the ability to use a tech stack to create more marketing is not an inherent advantage. It only works if you're creating more marketing that people actually want to receive. The wizard is what's powerful, not the wand. It's how you use this technology that sets you and your organization apart, not the presence of the technology. And I say that as somebody who's worked with many of the vendors in the marketplace, either as an influencer or a speaker or as a consultant. What we're seeing right now is that your customers and my customers are literally, or at least figuratively, digging a moat to protect their attention. It's too much. 
They're frustrated. They're tired. They're besieged by marketing. I think you know what a moat is, right? Probably not a lot of medieval history majors here, but just to be sure, a moat is defined as a deep, wide ditch surrounding a castle, fort, or town, sometimes filled with water, and intended as a defense against attack. Our buyers feel like they are under attack by us. We're the army. So they're digging a moat. And in a practical term, that moat is unsubscribe, delete, ignore, go to voicemail, don't show up to the webinar, and on and on and on. Now, one of the things we have learned from history is that you cannot siege a moated castle head on. If a castle has a moat, you can't just be like, well, we don't care. There's a moat there. We're going to take this castle anyway. This was learned perhaps most graphically and horrifically all the way back in 1417. In 1417, King Henry V, as some of you may know, there were eight King Henrys. Yes, I think there was eight King Henrys. King Henry V, like all the King Henrys before and after him, the big idea, there's only one big idea if you're a King Henry. It's like, hey, we're going to conquer France. That's the only thing they want to do. It's always about conquering France. Either day one or day 1,000, you know what, guys, we got to conquer France. So King Henry V sends his troops across the water to the French shore to a small town called Caen. This is literally the castle at Caen. Just looking at this photo, can anybody tell me what's noteworthy about this moat? Anybody? It is deep. Also, you might not be able to tell, no water in this moat. This is a dry moat, which sometimes occurs. Now, the English troops are like, these stupid French. You stupid French. You built a moat and didn't even fill it with water? Idiots. What do the English do? They bring in a bunch of giant ladders. They build a ton of really tall ladders. Like, you stupid French. We're just going to put the ladder in the ditch over the wall. Castle's ours. Sir Edmund Springhouse, his real name. Sir Edmund Springhouse is the leader of the English battalion. I'm the leader. I'm going first. Everybody follow me. Charge for King Henry. Long live the king. All that jazz takes the ladder, puts it in the dry moat, up the ladder, the French are waiting, and they throw on top of him tons and tons of straw that's been lit on fire. Sir Edmund Springhouse falls to the bottom of the moat and is burned to death under piles of flaming straw. I do not want that to happen to you. This is why... Under difficult marketing circumstances, we do not take castles by force. It didn't work in 1417, and it will not work in 2022. However, all castles, even those with moats, whether or not they have water, all castles can be entered with a drawbridge. That's how you get food in and out of the castle. You can't live in a castle forever. You have to have entries and exits. Typically, that is with a drawbridge that can be raised and lowered for protection. So what I want you to do is to get motivated. If you see what I did there, thank you. I appreciate you picking up on that. It's nice. Been two years, but you guys are on top of it. 
I want you to get motivated and instead of trying to force your way into the castle, trying to force your way into the attention of your buyer, to actually get invited inside. To get invited inside. The problem is every B2B marketer, including every single one of us in this room, we all tell ourselves the same lie. We can't help it. It's an occupational requirement. The lie we tell ourselves goes like this. You know, the problem is our buyer, our ICP, they're just too busy. They're too busy. They're too busy to listen to the podcast. They're too busy to go to the webinar. They're too busy to watch the video. They're too busy to read the research report. They're just too busy. And that is total bullshit. It's not about being busy. If a prospect, regardless of where they are in the funnel, if they tell you they're too busy or they indicate in some way they're too busy, what they actually mean, but will not tell you because they don't want to hurt your feelings typically, what they actually mean is that what you are giving them is not relevant enough. It's not that they don't have the time. It's that it's not worth their time. There's a big difference. So to get invited into the castle, to cross these drawbridges, you must be, in everything you create, radically relevant. Not kind of relevant, not marginally relevant, radically relevant. There are three drawbridges that you can get lowered so you can cross and get into the castle of your audience's attention. And the first of these drawbridges, I worked really, really hard on this drawbridge sounder, so I want to make sure everybody appreciates this. Okay, thank you, thank you. This is the kind of multimedia presentation you get from Jay Barry, ladies and gentlemen. The first drawbridge that you can cross is the right message. The right message. Two-thirds of all B2B buyers would switch vendors if the sales and marketing information they're given wasn't personalized in some way. Certainly on trend with many of the ABX and content experience vendors here at the show, it's not just annoying or irksome. They're like, you know what, if you won't personalize it, I'm going to a competitor. That's pretty high stakes, but yet much of what we create is still not personalized and is not radically relevant from a messaging perspective. What I will tell you is that broad is flawed. And this is a new philosophy because for 99% of the history of marketing, the idea was to reach the largest possible addressable audience. And now it's the exact opposite. It's the smallest possible perfect audience. And some of you need to continue to educate your executives that this is the case. Because you know that this is true if you're at this event, but some of the people who pay you don't. And hopefully I can help you tell that story effectively. Isn't it funny that the word custom is inside the word customers? Yeah, we so often treat them all the same. It's a puzzlement, if you ask me. Specificity is what makes your content special, is what makes it memorable, it's what makes it effective. 
specificity, not generality. This isn't just about B2B marketing. This trend towards specificity and radical relevance is all around us if you open your eyes. This is the national championship college football game from just a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, Georgia versus Alabama. Take a look at this, okay? 14 different television channels. 14 channels for the same football game. 14 different channels simulcasting the exact same football game. Because if you want to watch the AT&T 5G High Skycast, I have no idea what that is. And I'm a huge football fan. I'm like, I don't know, Sky, High Skycast? I don't know what that is. If you want to watch that, we got you covered. If you want to watch only the halftime bands, which is a very specific channel, <laughs> you can do that as well. Narrowcast, not broadcast. Six in 10 B2B tech companies created content for two or fewer funnel stages in 2020. I did a big research project on this with my friends at Cisco. Six in 10 B2B tech companies were like, you know what? We're gonna put all of our eggs in one or two funnel stages and we're not gonna cover all the funnel we don't feel like we need to, we don't have the budget or the time or the resources. And when you do this, you are ipso facto not going to be radically relevant for many prospects that are in different parts of the consideration cycle. What I find in my consulting practice is the parts of the funnel that are most often ignored, your mileage may vary, but the ones that are most often ignored are very, very high funnel, where it's not even really about the business at all, and very, very low funnel, where it's so specific that you know not many people are gonna consume that content, and so it's hard to get approval to make that content. But sometimes these very high and very low executions can be some of the most successful pieces of content that you generate. This is an example from Active Campaign, a marketing automation CRM platform. Last fall, they did a program called At Home for the Holidays, a cookbook. It's literally a holiday recipe book. There's my recipe for my Grammy's peanut blossoms. Literally, those are the cookies that I ate growing up from my Grammy in Nebraska. This does not have a lot to do with marketing automation and CRM. However, they generated 4,000 MQLs in two weeks. Now, we can argue about whether MQLs are an effective success metric, et cetera, et cetera, different topic for a different breakout, but you don't have to be talking just about whatever it is that you sell. You can talk about other things that people find relevant. And who wants cookie recipes during the holidays? Everybody with an oven is the answer. Conversely, the very, very low funnel content can also be really effective as long as you have the courage to create it, even though you know it's almost freakishly specific. Here's an example from Cisco. Times of high network traffic can be a real drag, literally. If you're looking to prioritize traffic types and improve network congestion, you've come to the right place. In this edition of Tech Talks, we'll show you how to configure WAN queuing on the RV260 next. If you don't own an RV260 and you don't know what WAN queuing is, this video is stupid. <laughs> But if you do own that thing and you do need that thing, like this is the greatest video ever created. 
Your job as a B2B marketer is to figure out how to make the video for each person regardless of how specific their need is. So let me ask you this question. And I want you to make sure you capture this question. There'll be three of them in this presentation that you can bring back to your organization and hopefully use them as guideposts as you succeed in 2022 and beyond. The first question for you is this. Is the content that you're creating at any given time, is it the most useful information for this specific customer at this specific point in their journey? Or are you just trying to kind of shoehorn it in and be like, yeah, that's kind of what they need and that's kind of customized? Is it the most useful for this customer at this point in the journey? The second drawbridge that you can lower is the right messenger. Oh, sweet, sweet drawbridge sound. So good. It really brings you to 1417 France, doesn't it? The right messenger. Check this out. Information from customers and peers is 50% more credible to B2B buyers than information from brands. Yet, the preponderance of content created by B2B organizations is content from the brand. Overwhelmingly so. Don't just make content for your customers. Make content from your customers. Whatever you can do to make them the star increases relevance and increases trust and increases persuasion and increases funnel velocity and everything that we're looking to achieve. Now, it doesn't have to only work in B2B, it can work in B2C as well. This is one of my favorite content examples from the pandemic. This is the Getty Museum in Los Angeles. Terrific museum. Of course, during the pandemic, the museum was shut down for quite some time. No museums, can't do it, too dangerous, etc. The Getty decided to engage their customer audience in a very specific way by throwing out a challenge in social media. What we'd like you to do is choose your favorite artwork, find three household items, recreate that artwork, and share it with us in social. Simple assignment, and their fans took to it big time. This is good, right? Now, not everybody's got a field hockey stick laying around. Well-chosen artwork, I think, for her. That's a great one. Uh, this guy, like, has the globe, somehow has, like, a creepy cape. Um, I'm not really sure why, but that's good, right? This is the best one. Um, <laughs> is that uncanny or what? Is, I mean, that is like, that is spooky accurate. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's my favorite one right there. Here's a B2B example um, from a uh, crop services biosciences uh, company, Quatera. Uh, and this is uh, for their seed division, agricultural seeds. Check this out. This is on YouTube. There's a storm. We got a storm brewing off to the northwest. We are at the mercy of the weather, just like all farmers are. But for now, I'd like to say, overall, looks pretty dang good. Guess what? What? It's the final countdown. It's the final countdown. Hey there, welcome. I'm Kylie, a farmer, mother, and lucky enough to be married to my fourth generation farmer, 
Together, we raise corn, soybeans, hogs, and kids. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. This is a weekly, almost reality show on YouTube that Pioneer Seed does with the Eppersons. Each episode is uh, 10, 16, 18 minutes long, some in that ballpark. Just what they're doing on the farm. How's it going? There's a storm coming. We're, we're planting. We're harvesting. Look at our kids. They're going to school. Aren't they cute? And if you're in the market for seed, I am way more likely to buy seed from the awesome Epperson family than I am from a global agri-sciences conglomerate. And so are you. So are you. Here's the rank of relevance when you're creating content. The most relevant content is a message from an actual customer, like the Eppersons, because not only are they real people, but they have real experiences with the product or service under consideration. Second most relevant is from an influencer, a relevant industry influencer, which is why I do so much influencer marketing work and thought leadership work with, with companies in the marketplace and others in the category. Third is a message from an actual employee. And last is the one that we typically do, which is message from brands. So the one that has inherently less relevance and less trust is the one that we typically spend more time on. And I would suggest to you that we should try to flip this script as much as possible. We talked about the power a moment ago of employees as messengers. And when you do this right, it can be spectacularly effective. This is perhaps my favorite example of all time from Lenovo. Please watch this. Hi, my name is Betsy. I'm a senior user experience designer at Lenovo. Today, I'm here to talk to you about virtual reality in this creepy warehouse. <laughs> okay. Virtual reality is a fully immersive experience. What you're seeing and what you're listening to so closely emulates the real world that your brain perceives it as real. So it creates memories and it writes them in your brain just like it would if you were perceiving it or accessing it. What? God, they're moving. So you absolutely would not be able to see your bugs. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm afraid that if I move any part of my body, I'm gonna squish Gross. Most of the development time is being spent in games but there's definitely people who are working uh, in training. Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, oh God! No, you're kidding me! Not another thing! Oh, my gosh! Resolution is very important in virtual reality. It has to be able to keep up as you look around. If it doesn't, you can end up getting uh, motion sickness. I think the snake is underneath my head. <sighs> Woo! So engineers are working hard to incorporate touch into the virtual experience. In the future, you'll have full body suits that you'll be able to feel snakes all over your body and <gasps> that they're crawling on your face. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Y'all, therapists can use exposure therapy treatment in VR. So, say like, you're afraid of snakes? Ooh. 
You can experience them in a controlled environment. Okay, 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 okay. Someday virtual reality will feel just like this. I'm Betsy Ebley. I'm a senior user experience designer at Lenovo. Y'all, I think I just squished a bug with my head. <laughs> Best explainer video of all time, right? Like, you could just do a blog post about what virtual reality is like, or you could do this. I will also say that, like, that's going the extra mile to win employee of the month. Like, what a try hard, like, you know? <laughs> I really hope there was some kind of spot bonus involved in that performance for Betsy. Right? Isn't that great? Like, you're going to remember that. Uh, and, and it's so easy to, to take the easy way out and do it as a photo or a video or a, or a regular explainer video, which would be better than nothing. Uh, but when you say, hey, how can we make this memorable, interesting, different, and you feature real employees, it can be really effective. In fact, this was a whole series of extreme IT videos that Lenovo did. There's several other ones. Uh, one of the other ones that was really funny, it was another uh, colleague of Betsy's, and they were talking about how to keep your laptop fan working and, and keep your computer cool, etc. And so they had, had this poor guy uh, eat like increasingly incredibly hot salsas. And, and then do this same kind of explainer, and he was hurting. You could just watch him melt on camera. It's pretty great. Look it up, Extreme uh, IT. So I want to ask yourself this question, the second question for you to, to bring back to the office uh, or to the Zoom call, as the case may be. Uh, can your customers see themselves in your content? Or is everything from the brand? Can they see themselves in your content? The third drawbridge that we can lower is the right modality. The right modality. When I say the right modality, I mean the right type or the right format of content. It's true that different people prefer content in different formats. It's been the case for a long time, and those Modality preferences vary by demographic. New York Times did a survey last year of college students. This is an actual quote from a college student. Every time I get an email, it's like getting stabbed. Another thing for me to do. I have a college student at home and a recent college graduate also at home, and I can confirm that this is the case. My son is 20 years old and has more than 4,000 unread emails. I asked him the other day, I said, hey, Ethan, what are all these emails? He's like, I don't know, I don't check it. And I'm like, evidently. <laughs> Many of us, of course, uh, rely significantly on email as a primary mode of communication with customers and prospects. I will suggest to you that perhaps that will not be the case uh, at some point in the future, because this particular cohort ain't having it. We're going to have to come up with a different communication methodology. Modality preferences also vary by funnel stage. Many of you know this or have software to help you figure this out, that depending on where people are, you give them different types of content. Early stage content preferences, often uh, more lightweight, snackable content executions like listicles and infographics, blog posts, uh, short explainer videos, with or without snakes, etc. 
When we get into the later stage, closer to a purchase, more sales enablement efforts here in some cases, case studies, customer reviews, analyst reports, ROI calculators, things that are a little bit more specific to use case and tied more closely to actual total cost of ownership. Your content program, however, should be more like an assembly line, meaning that you can't put parts on a car in random order. Like the chassis has to come first and then the wheels. Like you can't really do it the other way around. But so often when we are presenting content to B2B prospects, we get that initial action, that initial click, and they go to some sort of content hub and it's just like a, it's like a farmer's market. It's like a Turkish bazaar of content and you, what do you want? And it's like everything in the world, like the Star Wars cantina of content formats and, and, and types. No one's gonna sift through that. This is why content experience and the post-click experience is so critical now. We think we're doing them a favor by putting them into an experience where they've got access to everything, but nobody wants everything. They want you to tell them what the next best piece of content is. That's why the assembly line is so important. If you looked at this, we believe the next thing you should consume is that. Don't let them make that choice. You make that choice for them. When it comes to content modalities, each individual content execution doesn't necessarily have a definitive modality. It just has a first modality. What I mean by this is it's really common um, as a strategist, I'll hear from brands and they say something like, but what we need is a series of videos that, etc." Like, no, that's, that's not it at all. What you need to do is educate or motivate or persuade a buyer. Maybe it is a video. Maybe it's not. Or maybe it's just a message that will be created as a video and also as some other things. One of the best ways to increase the efficiency of your overall content program is to really adopt this principle. That everything that you make can and should be made in a lot of different ways. At Convince and Convert, the strategy firm that I founded, we adopt this principle called the one to eight. The one to eight means that every time we have sort of a tent pole piece of content, white paper, thought leadership uh, component, research report, analyst report, et cetera, we create at least eight other pieces of content based on that across at least six different content formats. One big piece becomes eight little pieces. Many of you are already doing this. What a lot of folks are not doing yet, however, is the other way around, the eight to one, where you take a number of smaller executions and then you tie them back together and create a larger content piece in a different modality. This is BMC Software, who's doing this, this is pretty recent, doing this incredibly well with their case studies. They took all their case studies, and of course we all have case studies and most of them totally suck and nobody cares, but they took their case studies and rolled them together, uh, using Seros, I believe, into an interactive case study experience. Looks like this. Everything's in there integrated. 
videos, testimonials, data. You can sort by challenge. You can sort by solution. You can sort by industry. 2,800 clicks right when they released it. Most popular and effective case study they've ever had in the history of the company. Eight to one. One to eight. Okay? Video, of course, is becoming king. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But what I do want to emphasize is that video can serve all the different purposes across the totality of the funnel. Many of us are, of course, creating video uh, either in sort of one-to-one -one sales videos or high-end, high-funnel, kind of top-of-funnel generalized content. In fact, the data bears this out. Research from Weisel says that 74% of companies are using video for explainers. But when you get into the more specific use cases, like client onboarding, like training staff, it becomes only maybe one in four companies. So what we find right now is that the broader the use case, the more likely video is being executed. The more narrow the use case, the less likely it is to be video. Now, partially this is because many of us think, well, geez, if we gotta go to the trouble of making a video, that's expensive, and we gotta get outside vendors involved maybe, or it's just harder, it's easier to just write it. We all know how to write. But it doesn't have to be a big Hollywood production. We talked earlier about how important it is to have your actual employees be the star of some of your content. This is one of my favorite examples from Juniper Networks, who just had a series of Facebook Lives. They're literally AMAs with different SMEs in their organization. Super specific topics. And one of the things they did really well was they allowed their customers to ask the questions, and then they drew them out randomly. Here's how it looks. So much for tuning in to another edition of our Ask the Experts series. Today's topic is EVPN, and with us is Juniper's own Disha Chopra. Disha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I'm Kevin Oliver, the social media manager, and Disha, uh, if you mind, uh, maybe give the audience a bit of a brief background of who you are and what you're doing here at Juniper. Sure. Um, I am a product manager here and I own all layer 2 technologies, so that's EVPN mainly. And um, EVPN for data centers, EVPN for service providers, EVPN for the business edge, the whole shebang. So right after they finish this intro, they start pulling out questions that the customers have sent in, and she just answers them right there, then people participate in the chat as well. 344,000 views. This is not an expensive video to produce. Total budget, approximately zero. So when we get into the, into the deeper funnel use cases for video, it doesn't have to be something that you go shoot and light and get a microphone and all that, right? Just put your experts on camera and let them go at it. So I ask you to consider this question. Can your customers fully self-educate using the modalities they prefer? If they only care about video, can they get the totality of your story only through video? If they absolutely hate video, can they get the totality of your story completely in text? This is more important every day because what we're seeing is really stark modality preferences at the generational divide. 
I showed you the quote from the college student. As I mentioned, my son is uh, in college now, he's a junior. And when he was still living at home, it would be pretty common. We'd be sitting uh, at breakfast, at the breakfast bar there, and he'd be on his phone, and I'd be on my phone. We're both big sports fans, so a lot of times we'd be on ESPN.com. And I would look over, and this would happen all the time, and it really struck me as amazing. I'd look over, and we'd be on the same page of the site, except he would be watching the video, and I would be reading the story. And if you know that almost invariably on ESPN, they have a video and then a text version of the same story to almost every time. He always defaults to video, and I rarely default to video because I'm an old. So over time, as more and more of your buyers prefer video over reading, he only reads if assigned in class. Like, that is literally true. And he's a smart kid. He just says, it's not my thing. Pictures and videos. So many of us can get parts of the customer journey accomplished with moving pictures, but certainly not the entire customer journey, and certainly not the low funnel stuff. So something to think about. Can your customers fully self-educate using the modalities they prefer? Now, speaking of self-education, I have a newsletter that I send out every two weeks called The Bear Facts. It's thebearfacts.com, or you can shoot the QR code. Each episode of the newsletter includes a customer experience or marketing uh, story case study advice. As mentioned earlier, it includes a tequila review, uh, includes a book review, and then other things that I like and think that you should uh, pay attention to. Would love uh, to have your participation in the bare facts. I think you will really like it. Many people seem to do so. We learned this all the way back in 1417. You cannot siege a moated castle head on. Volume is not a success metric. Your buyers are already saying, enough! And yet we decided to increase marketing by 40%. Making more is not the answer. Making better is the answer. You have to get motivated and get invited inside the castle. There are three ways to do that. With the right message. With the right messenger and with the right modality. I can't wait to see what you do with these principles this year and beyond. Again, it's thebearfacts.com. I'm Jay Bear. If I can help you and your team in any way put these principles into practice, please let me know. My contact information is on the website. Thanks again to everybody at B2BMX, and I really appreciate everybody leaving the house and coming to Phoenix. Thanks so much. Have a great show. All right, folks, that's a wrap on Jay. And wasn't that awesome? Wait, did you get a chuckle out of whenever Jay played that drawbridge sound? Because I don't know why, I just, I just couldn't stop laughing. But in all seriousness, I really love the point he made about being radically relevant in order to get that invitation into the castle, right? And instead of making more content, you have to make content better by delivering the right message using the right messenger in the right modality. So big shout out to Jay for that awesome keynote. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss any new episodes on your podcast player of choice. And of course, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share feedback and let us know who else you want to hear from on the pod. Thanks for joining us again. And I will catch you next week.